Welcome to the Mortcast. Before I get started, I'd like to talk to you about Blanchard Family Wines, located between 18th and 19th in Blake and Wazee, in beautiful lower downtown Denver, Colorado, just a couple blocks away from Coors Field, right in the middle of the dairy block. Now's a good time to go get yourself a bottle of that 2017 Cabernet, or if you're vaccinated and you feel safe, go down to Blanchard Family Wines and try all of their various varietals of wine, including that 2017 Cabernet, but they also got partnerships with Western Slope uh, wineries like Coltara, Storm Sailors, and uh, uh, Restoration. Um, they also have, you know, some Malbecs. They've got some Syrahs. They've uh, got a brand new uh, Blake Street Blend, which is a local Colorado blend, uh, not from Sonoma County, which is pretty cool. Um, but they also got some other things, like they got uh, some Whites. They got uh, uh, a Rieslings. Um, they've got just basically everything you need. If you're feeling safe and want to go down there, go to bfwdenver.com. Uh, you can first pick up a bottle um, and order it there, or you can book yourself a register reg- um, a res- <laughs> excuse me. You could book yourself a reservation. There we go, and uh, you know, or you can like I said, buy some swag. So there's a lot of different options there. One of my favorite places to go in Denver, Blanchard Family Wines. Once again, they're located between 18th and 19th in Blake and Wazee in beautiful Lower Downtown Denver, Colorado, just a couple blocks away from Coors Field, right in the middle of the dairy block. They are online at bfwdenver.com. You can book yourself uh, a reservation. You can do a virtual wine tasting, or you can pick yourself up a bottle or get some swag. Basically, a one-stop shop for really everything you need. They are also um, on Facebook and Instagram under Blanche Family Wines. When you go in or you talk to them, you can tell them that Jeff Morton from CHG Podcast sent you there. What is up, everybody? Thank you all for joining me on the latest Mortcast part of the CSG Network. I'm, of course, your host, Jeff Morton. Um, Another in my series of a little bit of historical uh, um, podcasts. I'm going to talk to you about, just as a single podcast, about uh, my experience at the 2014 Media Day. Now, to give you a little context here, the Media Day in 2014 was really what I would call the first of the of the Tim Connolly years. Um, and by that, I mean 2013 and the aftermath, including uh, hiring Brian Shaw as coach, uh, the Nuggets selling off the draft pick, um, uh, not selling off, but trading their draft pick, which was uh, you know, selected for them, which was Rudy Gobert, um, all that stuff. That was largely an uh, upper management move because of the timing of things that happened in the 2013 offseason, which was Masai Ujiri leaving later and taking most of the Nuggets scouting staff with him. Um, and then having the Nuggets having to scramble. Um, by the time Tim Conley got there, Brian Shaw uh, was basically had gone through, through interviews with Josh Kroenke already. And um, it was really, this was 2013 with Josh Kroenke and then... Uh, you know, Tim made some a uh, couple free agent signings, which was J.J. Hickson and uh, um, uh, Nate Robinson. But the really the, the 2013-14 was the year of Josh Kroenke. It was the year he decided to clean house. It was the year that the Nuggets decided to switch directions and become a slow-it-down team and not the run-and-gun team of the George Carl era. A lot of that was Josh Kroenke's foot, um, fingerprints all over that team. 2014 really was the first year we began to see this as Tim Connolly's 
vision or direction, but that didn't mean everything was peaches and cream. Uh, in the off season, the oft, oft, you know, the first season of of, uh, of Brian Shaw was was chaotic. Um, it featured a revolt from Andre Miller, and it really it was it was the Nuggets trying to go a completely different style with players that fit almost entirely George Carl's way of going and philosophy. Andre Miller famously yelled at Brian Shaw on New Year's Eve, uh, which was uh, something that we all remember, and that last that drama lasted for a month. Um, and it just it, it wasn't working, and it was becoming patently clear that in order to go in a new direction, they needed to start cleaning house. Well, in the offseason, they featured a trade, which sent Evan Fournier to uh, uh, Orlando for um, for uh, Aaron Aflalo. Now, Aflalo had been traded uh, two years before, so this was a quick turnaround. It's not quite as quick as the Antonio McDice traded one year, signed as a free agent the next offseason. This was uh, this was you know two years and well year and a half two two and a half years I should say and um, so the Nuggets ended up getting back Aaron Aflalo. Problem was the Aaron Aflalo that came back was not the Aaron Aflalo who left, and I'll get to that in the second half of the pro- of the podcast. Um, also, Danilo Gallinari was finally back from his to his ACL procedure slash ACL surgery later, and was ready to to contribute. Um, this was kind of like the the, the entire uh, organization was waiting to see how they would do with Gallo um, fully healthy on the roster. What they didn't account for was it taking a long time. This is what my fear is with Jamal Murray. They weren't, they weren't really accounting for the time it takes for people to really get back in the swing of things after their, um, uh, ACL surgeries because, uh, it takes a while. You aren't as explosive because you're still trying to build up the strength in the knee. Gallo to this day is not, I mean, uh, I'll be honest with you. Gallo's speed is about, maybe half of what it was in 2012-13. And, and before that, if you watch, if you watch clips of Daniel Gallinari in 2011 when he was first traded, that bugger was really fast and very athletic, and that diminished considerably after his ACL injury. He became a different player. I have discussed that before. But when, you're go- when you look at this Denver Nuggets roster, it still had Nate Robinson. It still had... Uh, uh, J.J. Hickson. Um, gone was JaVale McGee, uh, but Timothy Mozgov was still there. Uh, Ty Lawson was still there. Um, it was still the 14-15 year. It was still mostly comprised of the players in the Carl Ujiri era. And uh, it was, but it was starting to change a bit. You know, we had, obviously, Aaron Aflalo was also part of the Carl era. But Aflalo uh, came back and it would, had to be a veteran presence on it on on the locker and in base in the locker room and basically try to get people to get in line as uh, 
as a, on a winning mentality. There was still the thought that this team could compete. Um, and it, it was, there, there was so many, uh, like, stories I could tell about the way that, that season went, including a hit piece, uh, in ESPN that was only seven games into the season. Uh, I will probably devote an entire episode to that piece of journalism. Um, but there, there just is, there's just so many layers to it. And this is all building up to media day. Media Day 2014. The one of it wasn't surreal, but it was strange to behold. Um, for my own context, I had decided to just start doing videos. If anyone saw the uh, the workouts that were filmed that I did earlier that summer, I had a cheap iPhone 4, and uh, all the videos were kind of blurry. But I was I was I was filming them on the phone and uploading them directly to YouTube via an app called YouTube Capture, which no longer exists. So I would upload them directly to my account, and then we would I would put them out there. They did all, you know, varying degrees of success. Um, the most successful one was uh, uh, one of Zach Levine dunking uh, and his workout. Um which went viral. It was it was a great moment, but I decided to do that because you know, look, it was it was it was like at the start of pivot to video, quote unquote. If anyone remembers that expression, so I decided, yeah, I'm going to do this. But I uploaded it on the Colorado Sports Guys uh, uh, YouTube channel, which was nuked by YouTube. Thank you, YouTube. Uh, but <clears throat> I decided to put that up there and just see what happens. It seemed to be pretty popular, so I kept doing it. So when we get to media day, I'm like, I need to upgrade my equipment. My dad helped me out, got me a camera, and um, I started really putting more effort into it. And uh, this, I interviewed several players uh, during that media day experience. And I'll save a flawlow for the second part of the episode, but we'll kind of talk about the players you know. Uh, for those who don't know, uh, Nate Timmons and myself had actually a pretty good relationship with Timofey Mozgov. We were one of the few people who would actually talk to Mozzie. Um So he and I would go over there and just kind of talk to the dude. And, and Mozzie was always very appreciative of people who would make an effort. So Nate and I went to uh, Mozgov, and he was, he, he was jovial talking about it. I had a very brief um interview with him where he didn't seem to understand the questions we were telling him, but it was nice. He, he just, after the interview, he put out his big fist and, um, and, uh, you know, gave him the fist bump, the, the Moscow fist bump that we always would always do. Um, and, uh, I was, it was kind of fun. I, I mean, I always liked team of Moscow. He, he was a very, very Russian, very, very literal. Uh, but he was also very, uh, gregarious at times. Um, and he had a great relationship with Daniel Gallinari. Um, so we talked to him, and then uh, Nate and I kind of drifted around. I talked to Gallo uh, a little bit. Gallo was optimistic, but um, and, and and this is, should have been some signs of of maybe the danger that things were coming into. The organization and Gallo uh, were had a tense relationship in 2013-14 because, particularly the training staff, because of Gallo 
getting talked into doing this procedure by uh, Arne Tillum and uh, that doctor in Vail who decided to do this experimental healing response surgery thing. Uh, it obviously didn't work. Um, so then he had to basically lost his entire year, uh, what amounted to, I think, 15 months um, of playing. Um, Gallo was jovial. He talked about, you know, re reuniting with Nate Robinson and having Wilson Chandler there. Um, they were, how do you put this? I, 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 by that point, we'd know Gallo long enough to know that he was, he, he was, he went from a guy who would actually kind of give you okay quotes to really guarded and extremely robotic. And that really began in 2014. Uh, you could tell he was fighting it a little. He wanted to be a little, little more uh, honest, um, and he was kind of. He, my best recollection of Gallo was that he, it, it just it didn't look like he was very happy with the situation, um, and I don't know how much of that had to do with his his issues with the organization or how much of it had to do with what was going on with his knee and him coming back and being nervous about it because he was clearly nervous about coming back and, you know, testing his knee and all that stuff. And later in the year, Gallo uh, hurt his MCL in, I think it was in March of 2015. No, 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 no. It wasn't. It was February. Hurt his, uh, hurt his MCL, uh, was out for three weeks, but came back like gangbusters after that. I mean, it was like a light switch went on. But it was going to be a very difficult year for Gallo. And maybe he was kind of feeling it because it wasn't. I can't really say any direct quotes, but he, he just a feeling. Gallo was very appreh apprehensive. He looked very. He looked very nervous, and uh, it was it was an interesting kind of revelation. Definitely not, you know, the Danilo Gallinari form from 2012, um, the almost cocky Gallo. Um, from 2012 and in 2011, he uh, he was very much more reserved, and that's I guess that's to be to expected coming off of a major surgery like that. A lot of the other players, I mean, it was harder to talk to Nate Robinson. It was harder to talk to other players. This was the first year with uh, uh, Yusuf Nurkic and Gary Harris. Gary at that time was not very talkative. Um, in fact, it took Gary years to finally become a good quote. He just had to get used to it. Kind of like Jamal. Jamal was not very, Jamal Murray was not very good with the media until he learned to be. Um, same thing with Gary. Gary kind of grew into being more talkative and being better quote. Um, and Yuka, Yusuf Nurkic, he just... You could tell he wasn't comfortable with the English language, but he was there. He was present. And he was very excited. And it's one thing you could say about um, Yusuf Nurkic is he doesn't lack confidence, and that came across big time when we're talking to him at media day. But Aaron Aflalo is the one I want to focus on, and in the second part of the podcast, I'm going to talk about what what Aflalo. It's just the whole era of of everything around Aflalo and what that ended up looking like during media day and how it changed just a couple of weeks later 
when we come back. Well, I'd like to talk to you about DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. The first Sunday of the NFL season is here. That's right. Well, in fact, the first game is on uh, Thursday. So, wow. And the excitement continues with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. DraftKings is giving all new customers can't-miss offer this to celebrate the return of the NFL season. Bet just $1 on any football game this weekend and receive $200 in free bets instantly, no matter what. That's right, DraftKings Sportsbook is giving all new customers $200 in free bets instantly when they bet on at least when they bet at least $1 on any football game. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code MHS to receive $200 in free bets when you place a bet of $1 on any uh, on any week one game. That's promo code MHS to free re, to get your free $200 in free bets instantly. This week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, must be 21 or older, Colorado only, new customers only. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. Aaron Aflalo, I, I, I wish I still had the video because, like I said, uh, my YouTube channel was nuked by uh, YouTube. Thank you, YouTube. But... Uh, <laughs> The, the funny thing about Aaron Aflalo was I, I didn't really know Aaron Aflalo. Uh, if any of you remember, uh, back in my uh, first year of covering stiffs, uh, maybe first year and a half of covering stiffs, uh, covering the Nuggets as stiffs, there was a... Um, We didn't have the relationship with the Nuggets that we grew into as of, like, 2012. But we're still covering the team. You would get information and stuff like that. But it really wasn't on the the basis that it became through the rest of the 2010s. And the funny thing was the Mellow's last home game as a Denver Nugget was hit right in front. In fact... The the Nuggets uh, Melo's last home game was the game where Aflalo had his one of his best games as a pro, maybe his best game as a pro, and he uh, hit the game winning shot against Dallas Mavericks right basically ten feet in front of me because of my friend Andy Feinstein. It was like ten feet in front of me. Aflalo pulls up from that mid range shot, boom. Then you insert the gif of uh, Terry uh, Jason Terry kind of side eyeing. Uh, the the basket that it went in, <laughs> but anyway, um, that's the year that uh, the Mavericks won the title. But the the and that was ten years ago. Jeez, the Nuggets had you know kind of loved what Aaron Aflalo gave them. They improved after they gave up Dante Jones for Aaron Aflalo, despite with what Carmelo Anthony said. And in that year, um, in many ways, Aflalo was the best player on the team. Um, the most consistent player on the team. Not Maybe not the best, but the most consistent. And when he was traded uh, in the offseason of, uh, of 2012, it was... It was a surprise because he had just signed a contract. But he was traded to get back Andre Iguodala. So Aflalo gets to uh, Orlando and for two and a half years is, um, you know, 
becomes a post-up mid-range shooter, basically. And uh, that's something he really didn't have when he was, you know, with the Nuggets. He was a different player. He was more of a defensive, sla- you know, a slasher, and a guy can give you 15 to 20 points in a pinch. He was that kind of guy. In Orlando, they were a bad team, so he inevitably has to just take over a lot of the scoring load and becomes more of an isolation player than he was prior, which wasn't something that he was when he was a Denver Nuggets player. And I'm relatively certain the Nuggets were still thinking of him as the same guy who would have been like that before. I go over and I talk to Aaron Aflalo, and he is the happiest player there. And you could tell that he was just done with Orlando and uh, he he was so happy to get out of there and get to a place that he was familiar with because he was in Denver for you know from 2009 to 2012 so he was excited to be back and it was it was fun it was fun to talk to him because he was just he was smiling and I like I said I wish I still had the video because he was smiling the whole time answered every question just like with he was just beaming with sunlight um, he was excited to 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 see the new opportunities it gave him um, thinking that he was going to have a major role on this team and trying something new with this Denver Nuggets squad and I'll never forget it it was just uh, I think it was two weeks later two two maybe less than two weeks, but it was about two weeks. I'd go ahead and go and talk to Aaron Aflalo. And it was, was one of those things that I, I just, I, I, I just wanted to get an idea of what was going on because and really by this point, the Nuggets had only played preseason games and this is back when they played eight preseason games. And I was really curious to talk to him, see how he was adjusting. And I have this in an article at Denver Stiffs, and I, I, I'm going to have to kind of uh, dig that one up for you guys. But Flalo uh, looks, looks at me, and I say, so how are you adjusting to the new offense here? And he looks at me, and he says, what new offense? And I said, oh, I, well, I thought this was a different from me. He says, I don't know what you're talking about. Okay. Um... Has it been an adjustment? He says, yeah, I guess. You know, we've heard, we're having trouble, uh, trying to select the exact quote here, but he was, it was saying that they were having trouble adjusting to it and he didn't know what the hell the coaches were doing. And the funny part about this is that year started off awful. The Nuggets, like I said, went one and six, looked bad, and a flalo within two weeks, within two weeks was already miserable he was completely miserable and that misery would compound for the rest until he was traded because he was only on the nuggets again for a half a year until he was traded at the deadline a flawless misery just kept getting worse and worse and worse and there's a great story nate timmons has which i'll let him tell um about him finding out some information and trying to track down Aflalo. Uh, it was it was a mess. And his, like I said, his misery just kept getting worse and worse and worse and to the point where it started to drag down the team. And that was basically, it went from Aflalo being the happiest guy on the planet 
until two weeks later, him being miserable. And I think that there's nothing more that essays the utter dysfunction of the Denver Nuggets in 2014 than the Aaron Aflalo experience. He came back, he was a different player, he was a very into-himself kind of player. He wasn't even nearly as good a defensive player as he was. He ISOed all the time. He would do those post-up ISOs over and over and over every game. It wasn't the fit that the Nuggets thought it would be, and certainly something that maybe Aaron Aflalo wasn't thinking it was going to be. And that, I think, really started to wear on that team and contributed to the mess that it became later in that year. And uh, I'll kind of talk to you more about that. It was seven years ago, but I'll talk to you more about that season um, later. I'll talk to you more about how this Nuggets team just, it's amazing in, in certain sense, that's amazing they won 30 games. All right, thank you all for joining me on the latest Mortcast. Uh, I'll be back soon with another episode. See you later.